to Matthew chapter 16 this morning. Matthew chapter 16 as we continue our study. Alright. Some good things about fathers. You know, I heard a really cool phrase uh, last week that it's not it's not called a dad bod, it's a father figure. Amen. Alright. I haven't got mine yet, but that day is coming. Amen. Matthew chapter 16. Good to have my good buddy Kayla with me this morning and his mother. Um, definitely remember the first time I met Caleb. It was awesome. Um, we were at Bath and the um, Saturday morning visitation and pastor's like, I got this guy um, from Bible college and he wants to come out visiting with you. I was like, awesome, awesome. And so um, he gets out of the car and he was in a full on suit. And I was like, oh boy, <laughs> I got to keep up with this guy. He was amazing though. I mean, the bus ministry, the kids, they just absolutely loved him. It was fantastic. So I'll definitely never forget that. That was amazing. Matthew chapter uh, 16 this morning, we'll open with a word of prayer. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, just thank you again for this day. Uh, thank you for our church, God. Thank you for your word. Just pray that we would magnify your word this morning and exalt you, and that you'd speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. So Matthew chapter 16, as we continue our study, uh, we talked about the three divisions uh, we've kind of been going through in Matthew. You have the first is the uh, the offer of the kingdom, all the way through chapter 11. Then uh, from chapter 11 to 13, you have the, the opposition uh, to the kingdom that Christ sought to establish. And then as we go into chapter 16, this is really where you begin to see the final rejection um, of Jesus Christ from chapter 16 to the end of the book um, with the rejection of Israel as far as him uh, being the Messiah and offering that kingdom that was promised to them. So we're going to see a big kind of turn of, of events here in chapter 16. Um, as we talked about before in Christ's ministry, you see him kind of speaking to the multitudes you know, commanding them to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But then you, you see slowly as they begin to um, reject him that he kind of secludes himself. He withdraws himself multiple times. And instead of addressing the multitudes, he begins to speak specifically to his disciples. And here in chapter 16, you're going to see um, him in more of an intimate ses- setting as he's preparing them um, to take on his ministry. Um, as he obviously was not going to stay, he was going to leave. So you kind of see a different kind of um, mentality Um, that Christ has. And so we'll look at that here. We'll start reading in verse 1. It says, The Pharisees also with the Sadducees came, and tempting desired him that he would shew them a sign from heaven. Now just to give you some background in regards to these two parties, if you'll hold your place in Matthew and turn with me to Acts, Acts chapter 23. Hold your place in Matthew and turn with me to Acts chapter 23. Paul comes into contact with these two parties, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. In Acts chapter 23, in verse 6, it says, But when Paul perceived that the one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. Of the hope and resurrection of the dead, I am called in question. And when he had so said, there arose a dissension between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the multitude was divided. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, neither angel nor spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. And there arose a great cry, and the scribes that were of the Pharisees part arose and strove, saying, We find no evil in this man. But if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him, let us not fight against God. And when there arose a great dissension, the chief captain, fearing lest Paul should have been pulled in pieces of them, commanded the soldiers to go down and to take him by force from among them and to bring him into the castle. Now, we obviously know Paul's intent there. He kind of was in a kind of a little predicament, but he saw the two parties and he took advantage of it. He knew that doctrinally they disagreed on some things. And so he kind of exposed that, and then he was able to, to be taken out of the multitude, because who, know, who knows kind of what harm would have happened to Paul in that situation. 
But just to give you some background, it's so amazing to think that these two parties, they're so diabolically opposed to each other, right? They're totally at variance doctrinally, but they're, the one thing they have in common is their opposition to Christ. They hated Christ. And nowadays, it's amazing, too, as we look at the world's religion, as they would kind of uh, accumulate together, differing in so many different areas. But their one thing, the one thing they oppose the most is the doctrine of the sonship of Jesus Christ, who he is, right? You can't say Jesus' name. We can all address the Lord um, as our Father in heaven, but when you start talking about Jesus, things get a little a little controversial. In verse 2, if we're back in Matthew chapter uh, 16, verse 2, it says, He answered and said unto them, When it is evening, ye say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and lowering. O ye hypocrites, you can discern this, the face of the sky, but can ye not discern the signs of the time? A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given unto it, but the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he left them and departed. I don't know if you ladies knew, but last night during the, the fellowship that you had, there was a massive storm that went through Langsburg. I almost brought me and my daughter downside, downstairs because it was just so crazy. But what he's saying here to the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees is, look, you can discern the, the weather. But when it comes to the signs specifically that Christ was displaying for his kingdom, they were totally blind. They, they, could not, they could not see it at all. They could not understand it at all. And you say, what signs was Christ talking about? Well, we've read Matthew chapter 11 already when John the Baptist is in prison. And he sends disciples to Christ and he says, are you the one that we're waiting for or should we wait for another? And what did he say? He said, look, the lame are walking, the blind see, the dead are being raised to life. Right? He, he confirmed all of the signs that stated that he was the king coming into his kingdom. You not only have the signs of Christ's miracles, but you also have prophecy. Right, John the Baptist was the prophetical uh, Elias, the Elijah from the Old Testament. You have the virgin birth in Bethlehem. That was all prophetical. Throughout Matthew, you continually see Christ saying that it might be fulfilled, that it might be fulfilled, that it might be fulfilled. All these things were coming to fruition before their eyes, and yet they rejected God still, and they could not discern what was going on within the realms of Jerusalem at that time. You had Christ performing multiple exorcisms. And you remember that the Jews said that he's casting out devils by Beelzebub, the prince of devils. But what did Christ say? He said he didn't do that. He cast them out by the Spirit of God. And he says that the Spirit of God is casting out these demons. The kingdom of God has come nigh you. So all these things are coming to fruition, but yet they cannot see that he actually is the Christ. He compared them to a generation of children. He goes, we've piped unto you, but you haven't danced. We've lamented unto you, but you have not mourned, right? It doesn't matter who comes to you. You're rejecting the truth. John the Baptist came, and he didn't come eating or drinking, and you said he had a devil. He says, I came, and I was eating and drinking with publicans, and you said I'm a wine-bibber and a gluttonous man. He goes, it does not matter what I say to you, you're rejecting me, rejecting the truth. John tells us in his gospel, he says, this is the condemnation that light came into the world, but men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. They love it. We were at um, Miss Jody's mom's funeral yesterday, and as the gospel is being preached, you see people in their seats. You can see the, the attitude change when, when they're confronted with the reality of heaven and hell. And it's like, how could somebody, you know, the, the thing that we're most sure of is death, but we understand it the least. How, how, how confronted with this situation, how can people just reject it? How can they turn away from the truth? But the answer is that we love darkness. Man loves darkness. His heart is evil. It's desperately wicked. And these were the people that Christ was speaking to. It's not that man in his mental capacity is still on an honest search for truth. Christ has given us the truth, and we've rejected it. And that, that was the state that the Jews were in. If you turn with me to Luke chapter 16, hold your place in Matthew. Luke chapter 16. This is the story that you're very familiar with. 
the rich man in hell, Luke chapter 16. Go with me to verse 26. Luke 16, 26. It says, And beside all this between us, this is Abraham speaking, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to, to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee, therefore, Father, that thou wouldst send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Let me tell you what, some of the best missionaries would be people that are in hell right now. Because I guarantee you that they would tell people about Christ. And we that are living and we that have the truth, we refrain sometimes from giving people this gospel message. But if we keep on reading here in 29, Abraham saith unto them, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. Verse 30, And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. How crazy is that? That even Christ, you know, prophetically looking at this passage, even Christ's bodily re resurrection, which Luke tells us was confirmed by many infallible proofs, mankind still rejects the truth of Jesus Christ. This was the generation that he was speaking to. One thing I also want to mention is that people don't understand the definition of signs, right? Christ was not just throwing around signs, you know, slinging signs like it was something that, that pleased him. We see him throughout the Gospels retreat, refrain from giving a sign, not wanting to expose his power because he cared about the heart. That was the whole purpose of him giving signs was to, to authenticate his message to these people. And you think about signs in the New Testament that were given by the apostles and the prophets. They weren't given to wow a crowd. They were given to show people that their message came from God. We always see signs in the scripture. If you go back to the Old Testament, Signs were always given in transitory periods when God was exposing new revelation. But with the Bible, the, the, the entire canon of the Bible being closed, I don't need to perform healings or signs to show you that this message is from God, right? Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. This is, this is the, uh, the authority that we preach from. And so people nowadays, you have these faith healers and all these people that, that they try to use signs as if these things are just, it's like a, a magic show, if you will. They do not understand. They do not understand. Christ said, no sign shall be given to this generation but the sign of the prophet Jonah. As Jonah was three days and three nights in the, in the belly of the whale, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus stopped performing signs in front of them because of the state of their heart. If we keep on reading here, it says in verse 6, Then Jesus saith unto them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. And they reason among themselves, saying, It is because we have taken no bread. When, which when Jesus perceived, he said unto them, O ye of little faith, why reason ye among yourselves, because ye have brought no bread? Do ye not yet understand, neither remember the five loaves of the five thousand, and how many baskets ye took up? Neither the seven loaves of the four thousand, and how many baskets ye took up? How is it that ye do not understand that I spake it not to you concerning bread, that ye should beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees? Then understood they how that he bade them not beware of leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and of the, of the Sadducees. Now, as Christ is preparing his disciples for the future ministry with him gone, he has to warn them of doctrinally of what the two biggest enemies, right, of, of, of him specifically, what they would teach. And it's, it's really, really interesting when you look at these um, two parties, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You had the Pharisees who were strict adherents to the law, but they had this, they had this false sense of devotion. They, 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 they had this pretense of devotion. But then you had the Sadducees who, who didn't believe in any kind of spiritual world, didn't believe in any kind of bodily resurrection, and they had this false pretense of an impartial search for truth. 
They would just kind of go around in circles, not, not adhering to the truth that is in Christ Jesus. And these two cardinal principles, God warns the disciples of. Because just like leaven infecting bread and, and, and coming to fruition with, with the yeast and all the components of bread, God says their doctrine will influence you in the same manner. And God help us to not have like the, the Pharisees, that pretense of devotion. You remember in Matthew chapter 6, when God exposes the three main points that these Pharisees had it wrong, he said, when you pray, you give me vain repetitions. You pray in the corners of the streets and you, and you do it to be seen of men. You don't have a reward of, of your father, which is in heaven. Then he addressed their giving of alms. He says, when you give to the poor, you're just doing it to be seen of men. He said, don't let your left hand know what your right hand does. And then lastly, he addresses their fasting. When they fasted, they would, they would go barefoot and throw ashes on their face. And they did it just to be seen of men. And God says, you have your reward, right? But it's not from your father, which is in heaven. They had this false pretense of devotion. And God help us that we would not come to church, that we would not come and we would not give this false pretense that people would find within our secret lives, that we really don't have any kind of connection with God. God help us. In regards to the Sadducees, the best way to describe the mentality of the Sadducees is in the book of Acts, when Peter and John go up to the temple and they heal the impotent man. And the Sadducees don't like it, so they throw them both in prison, and then the next day they bring them out before everybody. And, and, they, and they, they tell them not to preach in the name of Jesus. But obviously, Peter wasn't going to do that. He says, we ought to obey God rather than men. But the Sadducees, they conspire within themselves and they say, we cannot deny the miracle of the healing. So we're just going to tell them not to teach in the name of Jesus, right? They did not care about the actual truth. They just wanted to suppress it. And God help us that we would not have that mentality as well. So he says, beware of these two parties. Beware of the doctrine that they would give us. One thing I think is important to note too is that Matthew is writing this gospel. And Matthew, just in this, this same passage, God is, is rebuking the Pharisees for their ignorance. But in the very same passage, the honesty of the disciples, right? Matthew could have totally blotted this part of Scripture out, right? We don't want to look dumb in front of everybody that's going to read this. But he's honest, right? You don't just see the ignorance of the Pharisees, but the Bible is so honest that even the disciples, God's chosen 12, you see their fallacy. You see Peter's denial of Christ. You see Judas's betrayal of Jesus. I mean, this is a real book talking about real individuals, right? And that's how we can relate to it. If we keep on reading into verse 13, it says, When Jesus came into the coasts of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Verse 14 is, is pinnacle in the book of Matthew. It says, And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Now notice that. Let's just pause there. Because I always read over this verse, but yesterday when I read it, I was like, that means something. We already know who the Pharisees and Sadducees think Christ is, right? They think he's a false prophet. But Jesus says, who, who do men say that I am? Addressing the total, just normal populace of Israel. But what do they say? They say some people think you're John the Baptist, some think Elias, some think Jeremiah, some think a, a prophet. But in, the whole, in that whole verse, no one says, thou art the Christ the son of the living God. Not one of those Israelites says, you are the true Messiah. They totally missed it. all of Israel, mankind of Israel. They missed who Christ actually was. This is a verse of condemnation. They totally missed that Jesus Christ was their prophetical king. And they thought he was just a normal prophet. In verse 15, he says, he saith unto them, but whom say ye that I am, right? A lot of us preach you know, in regards to kind of a, a topical form of this passage, you know, who is Christ to you? And that's a very good thing to ask yourself, right? Is Christ Lord of your life? But really what he's doing is he's, he's about to, to kind of go towards a new form of teaching. He's about to go into the teaching of the resurrection of, of himself 
as well as the church. And so he needs to make sure that the disciples know exactly who he is before going into the the forward part of, of the book of Matthew. Verse 16, And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Right? Jesus said, I'm the Son of Man. Peter took it to his divinity. He said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And this, this confession is different than what we've seen before. And we know that because God blesses Peter for, for this statement, and he gives Peter the keys of the kingdom of heaven. This, this was a confession that was totally new in regards to the doctrine that Christ is presenting in the book of Matthew. Verse 17, And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Right? He says this isn't something that's just material perception. He goes, my, The Father which is in heaven hath revealed this to you spiritually. In verse 18, he said, And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, I almost didn't want to teach this this morning, because this, this verse is like, I was looking at it going, man, this, there's a lot of stuff in that statement. And I don't think I can, I can do it justice. I'm going to try to just give you guys a few things to think about in regards to that verse. Because number one, we have to think about what church is Peter talking about there? Is he talking about the church uh, of Israel? Is he talking about the body of Christ? What is he referencing there? Right? What, is, what, is, what church is he talking about? And so we really need to dive into this really quick. Now, in re- we understand that Jesus Christ came to his own, which was the Jews, and his own received him not. Right? He, he went to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He said, go not in the way of the Gentiles. Right? We're going to the children. Right? God was feeding his children at that point. The Gentiles would come in the future and they eat of the crumbs of the master's table. But he's still addressing his children at this point. And he's talking about this church. And, and prophetically, it was in Old Testament scripture, the, the prophecy of the Gentiles sharing blessings of the salvation of Israel, that was prophesied. That is accurate. Right? But as far as the body which is in Christ, that is a new doctrine given by Paul. But just to kind of take you through this, hold your place in Matthew. Go with me to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9 and verse 32. Just want to give you some thoughts to think about this morning. Romans chapter 9 in verse 32. We'll start reading in verse 25. Romans 9, 25. It says, As he saith also in Osi, I will call them my people which were not my people. In her beloved, which was not my beloved. Now, what does Ephesians tell us? That when Paul is speaking to the Gentiles, he says, God has made you accepted in the what? Beloved. Right? Verse 26, And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, Ye are not my people, there shall they be called the children of the living God. Esaias also crieth concerning Israel. Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved. For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness, because a short work will the Lord make upon the earth. And as Isaiah said before, except the Lord of Seboeth had left us a seed, we had been as Sodoma and been as Gomorrah, been like as Gomor- unto Gomorrah. What shall we say then, that the Gentiles which followed not after the righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith? But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. Wherefore, because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law, for they stumbled at the stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I lay in Sion, a stumbling stone and a rock of offense. And whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Go to one page over, chapter 10, verses 19. But I say, did not Israel know? First Moses saith, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people. And by a foolish nation will I anger you. But Esaias is very bold and saith, I was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. 
But to Israel he saith, All day long I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. So prophetically, upon Old Testament prophecy, we know that the Gentiles are going to partake in the blessings of the kingdom that was given specifically to Israel. That was prophesied. But as far as a body of Christ, with no distinction between Jew or Gentile, male nor female, bond nor free, we understand that was given by Paul. So the church that Peter is talking about here, he's talking about a church in its Jewish nature. He's not talking about the church that we are, that we are sitting here today, right? The spiritual body. He's, church, all church means is an assembly of people. We're going to look at Acts chapter 7 here in a second, but there was a church in the Old Testament in the wilderness. And so we really need to focus in on what he's talking about here. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. Now you guys know these verses, right? Ephesians chapter 2. This is nothing new. We're just kind of going through a timeline here just to give you some kind of background information on this. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Wherefore, remember that ye, being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called circumcision in the flesh, made by hands, that at the time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who are sometimes were afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one. Who is the both he's talking about? Jew and Gentile. And hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain, Jew and Gentile, one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. Now, if you go to chapter 3, right? For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given to me, to you word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto men, right? Unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit of God, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body, and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel, right? Back in Matthew, Right when he talks about upon this rock I will build my church, he's still addressing the church and the Jewish and the Jewish nature of it. In Acts chapter seven verse thirty-eight, God says that Moses, right, a prophet Moses stated that I'm going to send a prophet like unto me, right? He's going to come unto you and he's going to restore the tabernacle of David, right? In in that same as Moses was that prophet in the church in the wilderness, right? So is Jesus going to be that prophet specifically to the nation of Israel? If you go through the first chapters of the book of Acts. Right, Acts chapter 2, Peter is preaching at the feast of what? Pentecost. Do you observe the feast of Pentecost? No, I'm a Gentile. There were no Gentiles present in Acts chapter 2. If you keep going through chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 6, on, that is a Jewish church. In Acts chapter 2, it says that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. What doctrine were they preaching? Well, they weren't preaching about this body, because Ephesians 3 tells us that the doctrine of the body of Christ was given to Paul. Right? He was preaching the doctrine of the church specifically to that, that Jewish church. And this is where it gets crazy. Because in Matthew 13, right, God starts speaking in parables. Just as a recap. So he starts speaking in parables. And the disciples, they pull Jesus aside and they say, why are you speaking to them in parables? What did Jesus say? He goes, it's unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But for them it's not. Because whoever hath, more shall be given. To him that hath not, it shall be taken away, even that he hath. So he goes, the Pharisees are not 
They're not accepting the message of the kingdom. So I'm going to take all the knowledge that I would give to them, and I'm going to give it to you disciples. But the, why did God have to speak in parables? Because the mystery of the kingdom was that God wasn't going to establish it in his first advent. He couldn't because they rejected his kingdom. But the mystery is that the kingdom was going to take a new form, and that form was going to be the church, right? And this commission of this church is given to Peter, right? Because the church is not founded upon the kingdom, right? God wasn't saying repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand anymore, right? He was talking now about the doctrine of the church, and that started specifically with Peter. But it's different than Paul's ministry. But the thing is, he says, I will build my church. But he said it prophetically. Why? What did Jesus say at the Last Supper? He said, take this drink. This is my blood, right? This is the blood of the New Testament, which is shed for you, right? Acts tells us that Jesus purchased the church with his own blood. He had not yet purchased it. yet. That's why it was prophetical. Peter, upon you, right, I'm going I'm to build this church. But it's not like the Catholics believe, though, right? Peter cannot forgive your sins. Only Jesus Christ can, right? Peter laid the cornerstone, but the, the builder who lays the cornerstone is not the cornerstone, right? The cornerstone, uh, the stone of stumbling, the rock of offense, that is Christ, right? And Christ is the foundation, and the apostles and the prophets and everything builds upon that foundation, but Christ, right? God is going to, we're going to read in the verse here that God gives Peter the kingdom, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. But who has the keys of death and hell? Jesus Christ does, Revelation 1.18, right? Peter don't have those keys. So I can't go to Peter and say, let me in. He's like, I can't unlock the door. Jesus has those, right? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So let's keep reading here. In verse 18, we just read that. Upon, upon Peter, right? Um, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth, right, shall be loosed in heaven. Now we have these these people going around in churches nowadays, they talk about binding and loosing things. They have no idea what they're talking about, right? The only thing that I can bind is my belt buckle in the morning, right? And I can loose it back up, all right? That's the only thing, right? He gave Peter this authority, right? He gives him the keys of the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven was a literal physical kingdom that was promised to the Jews in the Old Testament. And God goes, listen, I'm going to die now. I'm going to get buried. I'm going to raise again the third day, right? But my kingdom, I didn't fail. Right? So Psalms chapter 2. Right? Why do the heathens rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The rulers set themselves together, right? Against the Lord and his anointed. He that's in the heaven shall laugh, right? Because they think that they've destroyed God's kingdom, but God's just postponed it. And one day he's coming back to execute judgment, right? After, we're, after we get out of here. But he gave to Peter the keys of the kingdom of heaven because Peter was going to go through the book of Acts. And in Acts chapter 2, he was going to preach, repent, and be baptized for the remission of sins to the nation of Israel, right? Peter was going to carry this doctrine of the church after Christ ascends back up into heaven in Acts chapter 1. And Peter had the delegated authority, just like God had given to them back in Matthew 10 when he sent them all to preach that message. Peter had this delegated authority to preach this message of the remission of sins to the Jews. But Peter didn't just preach that message to the Jews, right? God gave Peter a vision in Acts chapter 10. He, he was on a housetop, and God gave him this vision of these unclean meats. And, and Peter was like, I've never ate those things, right? That's why I'm sad, because I've never had the chance to eat bacon or all those good things, you know? And, he, and, and God says, call not what I've cleansed, call, don't call it unclean, right? But who is he talking about? He was talking about that the Gentiles would be able to hear the gospel. Not the gospel of the body as we know it, right? But the gospel of the fact that Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose again. The resurrection. That would, that would go to the Gentiles as well. 
And Peter was the one that did that. Now, we know in Acts chapter 8, the Ethiopian eunuch, right? But Peter, God gave him the delegated authority to preach the resurrection first to the, the Jews. And then in Acts chapter 10, right, these guys come to his house. Well, he's on, after, right after he heard the vision, three Gentiles show up on his door and they knock. And they said, this guy named Cornelius sent us to get you and to bring him to his house, right? And so Peter's like, cool, you know, you want to have a, a sleepover? So they spent the night, you know, <laughs> they, they hang out, they hung out. And then the next day they go to Cornelius's house. Now, if you've read Acts chapter 10, see, this is, this is where you have to make distinctions. Because, because people in Acts, right, the first part of Acts, a lot of, a lot of Christians think that, that is, there's Gentile stuff in there. It, that's still Jewish in nature. Because you know what Peter says in Acts chapter 10 when he goes into Cornelius' house? He goes, guys, it's not lawful for me, a Jew, to be under the same roof as a Gentile. I don't say that, right? That's not what I say. Um, because the gospel that I preach, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God and salvation to everyone that believes. But as Peter is preaching the resurrection to those Gentiles, the Holy Ghost comes upon them, and those Gentiles start speaking in tongues. And Peter's like, hmm, you know, God has given the blessing of this kingdom message to Israel, but he's also allowing the Gentiles to be blessed by it as well. And he goes, who am I to restrain what God is doing, right? I can't, I can't argue with God. He promised us the Holy Ghost in John chapter 14, and now I see that the Gentiles have started to receive it, right? But that, that is the church that Matthew 16 is talking about, right? Paul talks about this body of Christ, right? Up until Acts chapter 10, those Jews are still living according to the law. But what does Paul say? Paul comes along and he says, look, God, God has, has given me this revelation of a body that we are hidden in. And there's no difference between the sexes. There's no racial difference in this body, right? And he goes, let no man judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of the holy days or the Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come. But the body is of Christ, right? The body is something that was hidden from the beginning of the world, right? We are enjoying this dispensation of grace where we're not saved by any form of work. We're saved by the justification that Jesus Christ gives us. But that was brand new. So Peter is, is here talking about that, that church that was, that was built on the resurrection, right? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. To, to go with me to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15. Just to give you a little bit more background here. Acts chapter 15. We're almost done here. Acts chapter 15. In verse 1. Now, now two passages here. Acts chapter 15. They call it the apostolic council, Right? You can reference this verse in Galatians 2. They're talking about the same exact thing. Paul gives a record of it in Galatians 2. There's also a record, Luke gives a record of it here in Acts chapter 15. Same event. It says, And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and a certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. You see, these Jews from Jerusalem came down to Paul and Barnabas during their ministry at their church, and they started telling all Paul and Barnabas' members that they had to be circumcised to be saved. Paul's like, uh-uh, right? They had, they had a little argument, so much to the fact that they said, look, we got to bring you guys back to Jerusalem where the apostles are, where James, John, Peter, all them are, and we got to see what they say about it, Right? And so in verse 3, and being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Phenis and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles. And they caused great joy unto all the brethren. And when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church. What church? That Jewish church. 
That's the church he's talking about. They received by the church and of the apostles and elders, and they declared all things that God hath done with them. But there arose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees, which believed. These were saved Jewish Pharisees. They believed in Christ, right? That it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. We're in Acts chapter 15, guys. And they're still preaching this stuff. The Jews are still identifying with these things. The disciples are, right? They keep the law of Moses, and the apostles and elders came together for to consider of this matter. And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up, right? And said unto them, men and brethren, you know that a good while ago, God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth, by my mouth, should hear the word of the gospel and believe, right? Peter was given the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And God says, preach the resurrection to the Jews, and you're also going to have you're going to have the ability to declare what has been unlawful that Gentiles should be part of this. You're going to have the ability to bind and loose that commandment, and you're going to be able to preach that same resurrection message to the Gentiles, right? Not the message of the body that Paul brought, but the message of Jesus Christ is resurrected. He is Lord. He is King. Believe in Him, right? That's the message that He came by Peter's mouth. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as He did in us and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved, right, even as they. Then all the multitude kept silence and gave audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring the miracles and wonders of God that had been wrought among the Gentiles by them. And after they held their peace, James answered and said, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simeon hath declared now how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And to this agree the words of the prophets, right? Old Testament has confirmed that this is going to happen. After this, I will return and build again the tabernacle of David, which is fallen down, and I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up, that the residue of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles, upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things. Now in verse 19, this is the conclusion, Right? Uh, this big argument, this is the conclusion. Wherefore, my sentence is that we trouble not them which from among the Gentiles are turned to God. James is like, look, if you have Gentiles that are willing to believe in Christ, let's not trouble them. That's cool. They can do that. In verse 20, but that we write unto them that they abstain from pollutions of idols and from fornication and from things strangled and from blood. He's like, listen, out of respect for us in the law, have them abstain from eating food offered to idols and from meat, you know, strangled or with blood, which was still, that was Jewish law. He goes, out of respect for us, have them do that. And we know that Paul in 1 Corinthians even addresses that with the Gentiles. Look, if you're going to eat meat, you know, offered to idols, and it doesn't offend you, don't offend your brother who might be a Jewish brother, right, who's offended by this. Don't do that to them because you're going to offend their weak conscience, right? So you see in the New Testament, this Jewish church, they're kind of, they're working their stuff out with this Gentile church, right? And they all think Paul's crazy because this is brand new, right? Now, in closing here, go to Galatians chapter 2, because Peter still struggles with this. Peter is still having a hard time with this. In Galatians, right, Galatians chapter 2, and again, this is talking about the same event. This is talking about the Apostolic Council. Paul records it here, Galatians 2, and go with me to verse... Go with me to verse 4. And that because of false brethren unawares brought in, who came in privily to spy out their liberty which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. Right? Paul's talking about those Jews that came down and said, you've got to be circumcised to be saved. 
to whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour. Paul's like, we didn't even let him, let him get away with it for an hour. That the truth of the gospel might continue with thee. But of these who seem to be somewhat, whatsoever they were, it maketh no matter to me, God accepteth no man's person. For what they who seem to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me. But contrarywise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me, and the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter, for he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me towards the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived that the grace was given unto me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship, that we should go unto the heathen and they into the circumcision. Right? Peter, James, and John, they're like, okay, we authorized this. Why? Because God gave Peter delegated authority to bind and loose the new commandments that would come about in the New Testament. What was then not lawful is now lawful. And they sent letters with Paul and Barnabas saying, so that when they go to churches and there's other Jews that have a problem with this, look, we have letters from Peter, James, and John stating that they, they, give, us, they give us authority to do this. And if you read in verse 11, but when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. For before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. And other Jews dissembled likewise with them, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. Even Barnabas was like, uh, uh, they were embarrassed, right? Because Paul said, look, it's lawful. God, you know, don't call what God has called cleansed unclean. But the problem was when James, right, that pastor of Jerusalem, when James came down and Peter saw James coming, he got embarrassed because he was eating with those who were not circumcised. And he withdrew himself. And, Peter, and, and Paul said, listen, Peter, that's not what we've talked about, right? So just to give kind of light, when God says, upon this rock, I will build my church, right? Again, he's talking about the new form of the kingdom. Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit had been given. That was promised. That was a new form of the kingdom that would take place. A, a, a temporal, partial fulfillment of that kingdom. Right? And obviously, we're waiting for the rapture. And when we get raptured out, then God's going to come back and he's actually going to establish that kingdom right? that was promised to the Jews. The gifts and calling of God are without repentance. Right? God, what God has promised, he can't, he can't lie. And so just to give some, some highlight on this, you know, and I hope that's been helpful. I hope it's not. You know, it's just one of those things where it's like, put yourself in their shoes, I guess. Right? What are these guys actually thinking at that time? Because it's, e it's easy for us, man. We got the whole Bible, right? We got the whole Bible. And so it's easy for us to just say that it's all, you know, let's just, it's not, this ain't gumbo. You know what I'm saying? This is, this is a specific form of sliced steak. And, you know, you got to eat different steaks at different times. And so it's just some, just some good stuff. But um, we'll, we'll finish Matthew 16 in the future. Um, but I definitely want to give you guys some time in the middle to, to fellowship. So we'll just close in prayer. Dear Holy Father, thank you again for your word. Thank you again for just the blessing of, of your Holy Spirit, Lord. God, please help us to just, you know, study God. Please help us to just go through here, Lord. Go through your word and really just speak to us, God. Give us truth. Lord, there's not enough time that we have to live to enjoy all of the truth that you're, that you're willing to give us through your word. Please, God, help us to seek this. Please, God, help us to honor you in all things. Give us clarity, Lord. Please speak to our hearts in the next hour, and we praise you in all things. In Jesus' name, amen.